1: Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. With me, as always, my co-host, Matt Keough. Matt, say hello to everybody. Hello. (laughs) Matt, a man of many (laughs) words. With us today, a special guest. This is a gentleman. uh, I've been coaching track and field now 11 years at Kenmore East. This is a gentleman who has helped me immensely throughout the years. He he has probably forgotten more about cross-country track and field than I'll ever know. Um, A gentleman, again, who I've really had the pleasure of working with and um, learning from over the last 11 years, Mr. Jeff Brunger. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Larry. Um, So, so glad to have you here. And uh, we were talking a little bit about um, your experiences, but before that, We're going to do a little coming in hot segment, and Jeff, you were at the track, and and this was part of our coming in hot segment last week, but did you ever think that the day before a track and field meet, you would have to build or help build or have built a shot put pit because yours was run over by a car and had a car explode on yours? Never in my wildest imagination. It was, and it was funny. I, I sent a text to uh, Marty uh, Marty uh, Medora at West and said, You know, Marty, I never thought I'd have to plan for us. And his response was, Larry, always have a plan B. Like, <laughs> how are you going to plan for that? But um, it's easy for him to say they've got two circles. I it. was going to say they got two circles, <laughs> they got stone circles. But it was wild. But th- thankfully, and I'm going to give a shout out to uh, our other coach, Dan Norton, and his father for. Um, getting together a, a shot put pit and really doing it in a matter of a few hours. I mean, they were tremendous, tremendous today. And Dan's father, who you know, came out and did it out of the kindness of his own heart. And thank goodness he was there because it is senior night for us um, tomorrow. We're going against Niagara-Wheatfield. And for, uh, I know we've got two senior throwers, three senior throwers, Jess, Anjali, and um, Aaron. I, I would have hated to tell them that they couldn't throw their last meet at their home track and field meet. So Yeah,
2: that would have been a big disappointment. So kudos to the Norton boys.
1: Absolutely. It was awesome and um Matt, I wish you could have seen this thing. This thing was like legit. When I mean they like built the new thing? like it like honestly, I think it's almost better than the pits that we would have that we had there originally. Like they did a tremendous job putting this together.
2: Well, unfortunately, we had to build one. Um, for car accident reasons, but also the one that we used to have for indoor track got discombobulated because it had to get left outside in the weather when they built the new gym. Yeah, so it wasn't usable any longer.
1: Yeah, and not only, and it's not like this thing. Um, that they built a new pit. I mean, or the new pit. We're I plan on using this for years to come for indoor. Like you said, we had one uh, a great indoor shot put pit, but for whatever reason, got misplaced, got thrown out when they did the renovation of the uh, the new gym over at Kenmore East. But I'm glad we finally got this one back, and I think it's going to be better than ever. Yeah, it's great. It is awesome. All right, so Jeff, like I said, a man that knows way more. And it's funny, The my first year, I I don't know if you remember this, the first year we went to the – you you did a lot of work with hurdlers, and you still do, and you still do a lot of work with pole vaulting. You knew so much about pole vaulting, and the fact that for my first year on on the staff, we went to the Brockport um, pole vaulting clinic, and just the way you talked to the pole vaulters, the way you worked with them, I thought you pole vaulted like in high school and college. Yeah. You just you knew so much about that. But um, that's just—do you find track and field is one of those sports where you just, like you were telling us, you ran hurdles, you were a sprinter, but now you're coaching pole vaulting. I mean, yep. is it just one of those sports where you just hey, they need they need help at this event? Yeah, let the, me pick it up. Uh,
2: I think that it wasn't because I knew a lot about pole vault, but I I knew more than everybody else who didn't know much of anything. So I was uh, what I knew about pole vault you could put on the head of a pin, compared to what a whole lot of my friends around the area knew.
1: Well, I tell you what, after that first season, you had me convinced because I was really I thought you were like a high school college pole vaulter. I mean, you knew so much about the sport, you knew so much about the event. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And
2: the pole vault changed so much. When I was in school, they were using Swedish steel and aluminum poles, and some people were still using bamboo. Were they so really? the style changed when they went to the fiberglass pole. And I messed around with it just a little bit in college. I never did it as a competitor because we had two really good pole vaulters, so they didn't need me, um, which I was probably just as happy <laughs> being up there on a fiberglass pole.
1: I was gonna say I would. That is one event I would never want to coach. Never. I mean, I learned a tremendous amount um, going to that Brockport pole vaulters clinic, which was really awesome. I'm hoping to bring the school back there maybe next year, or two years from now. But uh, no, I get you put me on like a five foot ladder and I start shaking from heights. <laughs> I, me and heights, we 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 don't get along, which is probably why I'm so short and low to the ground to begin with. But, um,
2: Cause and effect relationship. That's here.
1: right. <laughs> that's right. See, I was I was always meant to be under six feet tall. But um, in your experience, what like what are some characteristics that you feel make make a good pole vaulter?
2: Well, speed is one. Um, you need to be fast on the runway, just like long jump or triple jump. It helps to have speed, flexibility, some strength. Uh, an awful lot of gymnasts make good pole
1: vaulters. I've noticed that, especially yeah, it's. I would assume that the skills translate over.
2: Well, yeah, that spinning and flipping in the air is a, a big advantage if you've got some sense of where your body is in the air, like a gymnast does
1: Yeah, like vault. Yeah, because like you said, I didn't realize especially, and even some of the drills you have, where they're literally going inverted. Like they're yep. bringing their legs all the way up 90 degrees. Yep, you want to get inverted, get upside down. Absolutely. Um, have you, like I know as coaches sometimes you get a kid who – maybe go especially in track and field will maybe go to the sprinters where you kind of after a couple practices you see them go over to the distant or you you kind of convince them to go over to the distance or vice versa um have you ever have you ever had a kid who maybe um you had to kind of twist their arm to do pole vaulting but then by the by the time they finished they graduated high school they were you know, taken to it like a fish out of water. Well,
2: yeah, I, maybe. I, I don't remember any specific students, but I think that they an awful lot of them look at it and go, "There is no way on God's <laughs> green earth that you're getting me on that thing," or there are other ones who are like a little more daredevil and they go,
1: "Yeah, this looks cool. I want to try it." Oh, for sure. I would think you definitely have to have that uh, that fearless Absolutely. attitude. Absolutely. Yep. Um, I know another one of our young pole vaulters, uh, Louis Louis Morris. He he's got that, and he's done that ninja warrior stuff. Yes, That's right. He looks like one of those where he's just going to take to it like a fish out of water.
2: Yeah, we certainly hope so. He, the, the last week, we finally got some cooperative weather, and I think we've seen a lot of progress, with, especially with our young guys. And Ab-
1: absolutely. And I know this is the first year that um, in probably, what, four or five years that we're we're developing some girl pole vaulters. Yeah, it's- we
2: got some because uh, we had a great crew like you said, about four or five years ago, and yeah. uh, one of them pole vaulted for a while at West Virginia, and um, unfortunately at the time they did not have track at Niagara, where, our, where one of our other girls went, and so we had like three girls who were you know ten ten three ten six, which is very nice height for uh, for a high school girl.
1: Oh, for sure. Now let's get a little bit into your playing. Here. So you were telling us you played like as as a high school athlete. You did football. I'm guessing track and field. Track and field, yep. Um, was it more of, like, was football more of your primary sport, and you did track to kind of stay in shape? Was it a little combination of both? I what think was, it was more kind of both.
2: Uh, the, the coaches, uh, this may be an overgeneralization, but the coaches when I was a kid wanted you to do sports um, all three seasons and, and just do different sports. I mean, it wasn't like today where there's – if you're a baseball, um, you're doing baseball year-round. and hockey and soccer and all those kind of sports. You know, you, you're, the sport ended. And so winter came and you went into swimming or basketball or wrestling or one of those things. And spring came around and you were a baseball or a track kid.
1: I was going to say, and that really seems, and I, I coach soccer where I tell my girls, listen, if you're, not, if, you don't have a, if you're not a softball player or a lacrosse player now, but if you don't have a spring sport, there's no reason you shouldn't do track and field.
2: Well, our football coach encouraged us strongly to do a sport. So if you weren't playing baseball, and, you know, baseball only carries so many kids. Um, so if you weren't, he said, you know, you really ought to go out there and do track. So a lot of the linemen were throwers, uh, although some of them were very good sprinters, too. And, you know, the other guys did sprints, hurdles, whatever. So those was a good participation. Our high school track team most years had 120 boys on it.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. That is, I, I feel like nowadays that's unheard of. Like, that's yeah. fantastic. Some of the schools
2: we we see, Niagara-Wheatfield always has good numbers and some of the others. But when we used to come out to warm-up, our warm-up lap before the meet to intimidate the other team, we would jog a lap single file. And we would cover <laughs> the entire track with 120 kids. So
1: I love it. Now, was it more, was it... Back then, was it still like it is now where the girls and guys kind of practiced together, or was it more of like boys' track stayed with boys' track, girls' track stayed with girls' track? There was no girls' track. There was no girls' track. Girls
2: got the short end of athletics when I was in high school. There was mostly intramurals or extramurals where you might play a couple of other schools near you, but they didn't have a nice league schedule like the boys did. So Mm -hmm. we came a long way. They added girls' track in
1: 1977. Okay. So now, was, did it really, like, I guess, when would you say that girls' track really kind of caught on and become, became, like, the, the sport that it is now? Like, did I it take a little bit of while?
2: late 70s, but in the, by the mid-80s, it was almost every high school in the area had, uh, had a girls' track team. And I think they were excited about having an opportunity that they hadn't had for, well, certainly their, their moms hadn't had, um, or even older sisters. So there were some schools that got good fast. Oh, and, for sure. And Lockport, you know, Lockport in our league was always the leader in the clubhouse. They they had a really good club track program there, the Lockport A C and uh they were a little ahead of the curve for most of our schools in our league.
1: Now for girls' sports, was did they have um did they have like a, any real high school sports or was it more of just like you said, all uh intramurals, extramurals? Yeah, that was
2: it like club kind of things. Uh, I mean the girls played Tennis and basketball and uh, soccer. There was a swim team, and some of my high school friends played those sports. But it was not uh, matter of fact. One girl, her father was a minister at the church I went to, and uh, we'd play basketball. Her their house was right next to the church, behind the church, and we'd play. A couple of us and and uh, and Mary, her name was, and she would kick our butts. <laughs> and we was like, it's too so bad the girls don't have a team because there were some really good girls.
1: Oh, for sure. And it's just, it's, it's funny to say, like, I mean, you're talking, you know, 1970s. That's not all that long ago. I mean, you're talking, you know, 50 years ago, l- less than 50 years ago. Just to see how far girls' sports has come nowadays, it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, Title IX was a terrific, I think it was a terrific law to give them opportunities. Oh, for sure. We had, when I was teaching at the junior high, we had a couple girls who ran with the boys' team. Okay. Because they were so good. And we used them.
1: I mean, we put them in the lineup. In, I was going to uh, say, were they, were they yeah. allowed to compete against yep, the guys? Yeah, they were. They were allowed
2: to compete. And we had a couple of girls, sprinters, who were really good. And then there was another girl who was a, a miler. And she was tremendous. Um, so we, there was some opportunity. But then when I got to high school, it sort of washed dried up. Although I know some of the girls um, would train with the boys' cross-country team. What, okay. The, probably the best distance runner I had at Kenmore East for the girls' track team used to run and train with the boys in cross country season, even though she couldn't compete. That's. So that's a dedicated girl for
1: you. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's how, uh, I mean, I feel even back in the, the 90s and even the early 2000s, you know, I graduated in 98 high school. But for girls' sports, it still kind of seemed like, okay, you you're you're great high school athlete, you're a great college athlete, but when you get out of college there's not really, there weren't at least back then, many opportunities for you. Now, almost every, I shouldn't say almost every sport, but a lot of sports have professional leagues like the yep. WNBA uh, Women's Major League Soccer so they're they're getting out there and there's more and more opportunity out there, which I think is tremendous. You've got uh, the Women's uh, Professional Ice Hockey League that has been in a number of times and it's it's great. I mean, I I'm always I was always a firm believer it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. If you've got the love and the passion for that sport, you should be able to play it and continue it at any level possible.
2: Yep, sky's the limit. Well, don't forget Jen Stashinsky, who then became Jen Schur, S-U-H-R, who's an Olympic champion and a world champion in the pole vault. She was a basketball player at Fredonia and then at Roberts Wesleyan, I believe it was, and that's where her now husband spotted her. At a roberts wesleyan basketball game oh really it suggested she might want to try pole vault because she was long and lean and very good athlete and a few years down the road she's a world champion
1: i was gonna say now matt you coach gymnastics can you see what like do you kind of feel that as doing pole vault and where some of your gymnastics girls would m- maybe excel in the pole vault or oh, yeah. or other tracking like
0: maybe even the hurdles stuff oh, like yeah. that gymnasts female gymnasts are built like tanks <laughs> like it's crazy to just see like they're just solid athletes and watching them just run down the vault runway just the speed they can pick up with that just, just like they said the awareness in the air it's it's Oh, yeah, like, female female gymnasts, I think, are my favorite athletes of all time after watching them just do what they do. They're pretty fearless. They, they are just, like, they do things that I don't think guys even would dare try. Oh, no, and they're fearless, but
1: it's just, especially when you get to that level, they make it look so easy. Yeah, the good people do, don't like, they? Like, just like it's, like, it's like walking, like it's just like walking down the street. Like they make it just look so easy. Yeah. So much hard work goes into that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, now, tell us a little bit about your college days. Like what, um, obviously great, uh, must have been very good in football, track and field. Did you play? F- I know you did college um, track and field. Did you do college football at I all did. too?
2: Yep. I played football for four years. Uh, when I was in school, Back in uh, <laughs> the previous century, the, uh, the NCAA hadn't changed the rule yet, so you had to play freshman sports. Okay. So we had a freshman football team, a freshman basketball team, and all that. Uh, so I played freshman football and then varsity for three
1: years. Now, what events did you run in um, in college? Was it the same as in high school, or did you switch different events?
2: Well, things got a little different. In high school, you could do one event if it was a four- in those days, 440. Instead of meters, it was English. So if you did the 440, you could do one other event. You could do a field event. So I did 440 and long jumped. Okay. I did some high jump, too. Um And then when you got to college, you could do as many as you wanted.
1: Oh, there was no limit? No limit. Like, I know even now in high school, they limit you to just four events total. Right. Could be four field events, four track events, whatever. As long right. as you go, you can't do a max of four. Unless you do the pent. When you do the pench, right. you can obviously do five. So in college it was now is it still like that in college where you have no limit or did they right. put a you cap on you?
2: You can do whatever. Really? But, you know, there's only it's the limit is your endurance. Very true. And uh obviously not not wanting to get injured, but when I was in high school, if you ran the hundred, you could do the hundred and the two twenty. Okay. And you could run on a sprint relay.
1: So now what would you say your your biggest event what like your best event was in high school?
2: In high school it was the four forty.
1: Okay. And in college, what did you what did you end up transitioning to?
2: Um, I did medium to long sprints, 200, 400, and then the coach made me a hurdler, so that's where I picked up hurdles.
1: Oh, so you didn't even start hurdling till till college then? No,
2: right. Um, we had. I was the fastest guy in the team in the 440, and we had some very good hurdlers. Uh, although those in those days there was no 440 hurdles, it was the 180 low hurdles. Okay. And it was on a straightaway. It was pretty bizarre when you think about it from, <laughs> from gonna gonna today's say. perspective. And then when we started, when I started coaching at Kenmore East, at first the
1: boys ran the 330 hurdles.
2: Okay. And then it, then it grew into the four four hundred hurdles. Yeah.
1: Okay. I was the 330. That just seems weird that they would they would make it to 330 yeah, instead of the was, four. Yeah, uh,
2: Some states still do it. Do they really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That just that seems a little weird. Just to, like, why don't you just, just finish the lap? Yeah. So I think in high school I was probably
2: better at track than I was at football because I was pretty scrawny. And uh,
1: what position did you play?
2: I played defensive back and offensive, well, receiver, okay, running back, whatever. I was, but I wasn't. If somebody sneezed hard; they'd probably knock me over. <laughs> so uh, I, I wound up playing wing back, which was a flanker, right lined up right off the end.
1: Okay, so more like a, I guess nowadays like a tight end type of deal or uh, like a slot a, receiver,
2: like a slot receiver more today. Yeah, that's a good comparison, I think. And uh, so I was better in track in high school than I was in football. Okay,
1: okay. now did you was it something where like you were playing um, football and the track and field coach that he kind of like like meandered? Was he was he always trying to trying to get the football guys to, well, it's to funny run too?
2: We had a junior high and a high school, and we had a junior high track team, and. I uh, was a high jumper. Okay. Um, which, looking at my height, it seems hard to believe, I realize. But uh, I was the best high jumper on my junior high team.
0: Really? Yeah. What were you Because the what two were you guys clearing? who were
2: better than me both broke their arms. Mm. <laughs> the, the crossbar was it was a triangular steel bar, and they knocked the bar off on the way down and landed on the sand pit. It was a sand pit. And uh they both landed on their forearms, so Ooh. I wound up
1: being the best I so wait back then you guys default. were you guys were jumping in the sand pits, yeah, and not the big and the pole big... vaulting in the sand pit too wait, really, yeah, oh, um, are you kidding?
2: It was no, it was dirt and sand, it was piled up i don't know a foot or two high for the pole vaulters, so you had to learn to land on your feet and then roll back onto your butt. you didn't land on your back like you do now in the in the new pits that they have new pits
1: <laughs> matt. <laughs> First of all, there's no way I would even do it with the big mats that they have now. But are you kidding if you said that I had to do it in like a foot or two feet of sand? Oh, that's sand and sawdust, yep. And and these kids are still going over like heights of 10, 11, 12 oh, we feet. Had a, we
2: had a good kid on our team at West who was a 12-footer.
1: And they're landing in sand? Yeah. I, I, I hate to ask, but were there had to have been like some bad landings throughout the years.
2: There were some. One of the guys on our team had some difficulty, but the other two guys were were very good. And one of them, actually, Matt was a gymnast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes and sense. he was, you know, he had a good build for it. Oh,
1: gosh. That's that just, that just, that's insane. That
2: hurt.
1: <laughs> like, that hurts my knees just thinking about you
2: it. You had to learn to land on your feet and then roll out of it.
1: Wow. That's, <laughs> like I said, I, 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 I have nothing but respect for vaulters because I know it's one of those things. Like I said, in soccer, I would never want to play goaltender in track and field. I'll do anything else. I don't want to do pole vault. It's a very interesting sport. I love it. I give all the respect for it, but I wouldn't want to come close to doing that. Uh, don't blame you. Sounds like a man <laughs> of much intelligence and wisdom. All right, so obviously after college, like, what got you – what got you into coaching? Like, what got you involved in coaching? I know you 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 became a teacher. Um, was it just something like where they needed a coach? Did you want to do it? Well, like, I, what got I you into coaching? I
2: and I I became friends with the football coaches my first year teaching. And when they wanted to go scout another team, they knew I'd played in school, and uh, so I would run the practice with another okay. another gentleman. And uh, spring track came around, and one of the very well-known coaches in, in Kenmore and elsewhere in western New York was named Dick Harvey. Mm-hmm. And Dick was the track coach because in high school, Dick was a very good basketball player. He played at UB Division One, And uh, he was a good thrower, too, on the track team. So I said, you know, can I come out and help with the junior high Because he was doing all the kids alone, all the events by himself. Oh, Wow. Um, and he was a really good time management guy. He'd, you know, he kind of do 20 minutes with these kids in this event and then do 20 minutes over here with these guys, and then the next day he would kind of rotate that around. So he was highly, highly organized. And I said, you know, can I come out and help? I'd like to help. He said, sure, come on out. So that's how I got involved
1: as a volunteer at first. And when you first started coaching, were, there, were the numbers still up, like in the hundreds, or had they started to dip a little no, bit? No,
2: they were not that large. and It was all, the junior high team, so it was only ninth graders. Okay. There was no modified yet, so only the ninth grade kids
1: could do it. So, you know, well, what around the numbers were? I would for say a in the forties, probably for just the ninth so, grade. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good pretty size. Good numbers, yeah. Now, was it something where these did the ninth grade team have to stay in ninth grade, or if they were good enough, could they be pulled up to varsity? No, you
2: pretty much stayed in ninth grade at that time.
1: Okay. Um, so you did the you did the the ninth grade. I guess what you would consider modified track program nowadays. Um, w- did you find it like? Do you talk a little bit about your first year of experience? like did you find that you took to it right away? Did you have to kind of um, I don't know like I know when I first coached soccer, I had to, there were a couple times I had to be like listen, you're not a player anymore. you're a coach. you know you, you kind of had to get out of that you had to transition from coach to player. did you kind of like were you right into that or did you just, did you still have almost like that player mentality?
2: Well, I probably had more player mentality than I'd like to admit, um, but having played, yeah, you know, I think it was an advantage a little bit. Uh, so, Dick put me over with this, the certain events, and uh, that worked out well. I could demonstrate if I needed to, but I didn't. I didn't really because I'm walking right out of the classroom out behind the school to the track, so am you know I'm in a shirt and tie, so I wasn't going to demonstrate much. But it was. Uh,
1: yeah, I lo- the kids were great. I loved working with the kids and it was uh, they were fun. Now talk about just learning from from a coach like Dick. Like look just how how important was that in your coaching development just learning from somebody who's kind of been there, done that like and like you said very very well respected throughout the league. How important was that in in just in your coaching?
2: Well, it was huge. Dick was Dick was an amazing Coach. Uh, He knew so much, like I said, his time management was tremendous, and he'd been a phys ed major at UB. So, you know, those guys have to go through so many things for practicals to pass things. I'm not sure what you had to do when you went through your schooling, but um, his organization skills were amazing, and the amount he knew about so many events was also tremendous. So, I learned a lot from Dick, and I learned time management, learning how to work with kids in a different setting. I was used to classroom management. But, uh, you know, when you're out on a field with activities going on on track, you've got – it's like a three-ring circus. Yeah, you've it got really is. You've throwers down there and hurdlers over here and high jumpers, and we had pole vault then in the ninth-grade team. So there was a lot going on.
1: That's why I, I couldn't imagine doing it. I mean, thankfully, you know, we've, um, we've got a tremendous – between you, myself, Coach Norton, Coach Marconi, Coach Mativier. I mean, we've got five – Really solid coaches I feel helping us out, I couldn't imagine doing running an entire team with just one person, yeah it was like crazy. just myself, yeah, that's yeah. gotta be and especially a 40, 50 person team that's got like you said, you're talk about stretching yourself thin I mean he you guys even just doing it with two people, you guys must have been like, all right, like you said, twenty minutes here, fifteen minutes here, hold on, I gotta watch what these guys are doing. Now, did yeah. you have all the groups going at the same time, or was it just, all yeah, right, Dick, you guys don't show up till here?
2: No, Dick would divide the workouts up. and you, I mean, you're looking for a little more mature kid who can kind of run a workout a little bit for you. So I remember in high school, we had two captains, but we also had event leaders, so every event had a leader. So there was a usually a senior or a junior who was very good at the event and a little more mature. And he would handle the 440 workout because in high school we had two coaches, but like I said, we had 120 kids in on the team. So, again, it's a three-ring circus. And uh, the event leaders were important to help run the workout while the coaches were trying to work with field events or maybe the, sprint, the sprinters had to work on starting blocks that day. So the middle-distance kids and distance kids, somebody needed to be able to
1: help them through the workout. So now, how long was it before you made the jump from the freshman track and field team to the varsity track and field team? Well, it
2: was because of Title IX, and Ken Moore decided that 1977, they needed to have add girls to the track program. Okay. And at first, the idea was to add another assistant who would handle the girls. So there would be a head coach and two assistants, one for the boys, one for the girls. And then they thought, you know what? This probably isn't fair. The girls probably ought to have their own program. So then um, I became the head girls coach at Kenmore East, and I was the only one. So it was a little bit of the same kind of thing.
1: So they didn't give you any assistance at all? No,
2: not yet. But the guys I worked with who were Gary Tock, who's in the Hall of Fame um, for tremendous coaching in in lots of sports, particularly volleyball and track, and a guy named Dennis Sinfreeny. They sort of got the idea that I had a pretty good handle on some of the events. So we started to split it up. And uh, Gary would handle the distance and middle distance kids. I would do hurdles and sprints. Dennis did the throws. Um, Gary did the high jump and pole vault also. So we started splitting things up, and they were very helpful for me getting started um, because we had experts in those events.
1: That's – and – so sort of similar to the setup that we have now where you, you can take your hurdlers, pole vaulters, I handle the throwers, Coach Matevier and Tim handles the more the distance and the mid-distance. Uh, Coach Marconi does a little bit more of the longer distance, and Coach Norton does the sprinters and the jumpers, which I think, it, and I know most schools, not all schools, there are some schools that, you know, only have one or two or three coaches. That's why I feel like we've been so lucky at Kenmore where we can really um, almost specialize. As coaches.
2: And that goes back, for Kenmore, that goes back to the late 70s uh, when they added a girl's assistant. Okay. So I got an assistant coach, and that's when we started having four on the coaching staff, for, finally.
1: Now, when they started specializing, were you always working with your, your more of your hurdles and pole vaulters, or did you have to do, spend a little bit of time here? a little bit? Did you kind of gradually, throughout your years, almost learn all of the events? You
2: wind up having, having to learn them all. I... Um, well, I did hurdles, so I'd, I worked with the hurdlers, and uh, I worked with the sprinters. And Gary Tock, who was the head boys coach, as I said, super knowledgeable guy. Uh, he was an Indiana State grad, so he'd thrown at Indiana State, which is, you know, good track and field. And uh, Gary and I would kind of go over things together and bounce ideas back and forth because Gary was super knowledgeable. Um, and we'd bounce ideas back and forth, and uh, I'd learn from him, and Gary handled the high jump and the pole vault, at the time. Okay. So you know, I I learned from Gary, listened to Gary, and kind of shadowed him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so I he know, was my mentor for sure. Absolutely, and I know for me, like I said, I was I ran distance, mid-distance, all throughout high school, and somehow became a thrower's coach. Even though I, well, you got to fill in where you're needed. Absolutely, and that's where, and I, I've told this story before. When I my first um track and field gig out of college was coaching at Cleve hill at the time when i was hired i was hired to do their distance team i was hired to coach i said that's great i've done the two mile the mile the four by eight those are my events i can coach distance in my sleep two weeks before or two days before the season starts the uh head coach at the time starts asking me well what do you know about shot and disc what do you got for shot and disc like I, I I know they were the big guys on the team. <laughs> I know nothing about it. Why? Oh, I forgot to tell you, our shot or our distance coach is coming back. So we're moving you to shot and disc. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Grabbed as many books as I could at the library, sure. looked up, uh, you know, this would have been early two thousands, looked up whatever I could find on the internet and started coaching shot and disc. Uh, when I came over to Kenny's, I told him about my experience and, uh, Shane who was the head coach at the time, you know, had me continue to do that. And you know what it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I still, every now and then, if, um, some of the distance runners or some of the runners need help, I, I, I still share my experiences with them and, and my knowledge with them, but it's, it's been a ton of fun doing throwers. You know, I've been doing it for almost counting Cleve hill probably a dozen or so years and it's something if you would have told me a dozen years ago i would have never thought i was doing it but it was a lot of fun and like like you said you just even now i know i've learned a little bit over the years from jumping from dan and some of the other high jumpers so you just sort of by osmosis almost pick up the other events
2: well there's so much availability for coaching education now that 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 didn't exist (laughs) before but you mentioned throwers i wound up coaching
1: throwers for indoor track that's uh, Owen and Nolan would always say during indoor. Uh, this was before I, I switched over to indoor. That you were you were kind of the thrower's coach during indoor.
2: Yeah, yeah, those poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you go where you're needed, and there's so much out there now. You get so many things on the internet. YouTube's great if you want to. You know, if you're looking for some drills or or whatever. Because um, those days we used to buy coaching videos, which mm-hmm. were on.
1: VHS tapes In fact, you know what? It's funny that you have that Because when I started coaching You gave me a number of DVDs And I think there was a VHS one in there Or, or And you know what? As, not the VHS I'm sorry, Coach I didn't have the VHS <laughs> But I'll still pop on to Some of those DVDs to this day And be like, alright, yeah That's, okay Let's try that so, and, But they're very helpful Now, Matt When you got into gymnastics You, you obviously weren't a gymnastics Or gymnast or whatever Growing up No nah. Did you, were you more of like, all right, let me look on YouTube, or did you ask, like, did you know gymnasts, or like, how did you kind of pick it up?
0: I was like, I asked coaches that were there, like, you know, different types of, like, drills I can do. I followed stuff on Facebook, like, different types of gymnastics, like, recreational gymnastics, Facebook pages. I go online. I watch videos of how to do drills. I observe just out, of just, like, seeing other coaches and what they do, kind of just, make my own, but I had absolutely no clue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> were there any clinics that were available to you locally or not? You know, around not the
0: state? Not that I was aware of. I was made aware of. Um but really there's one specific coach that kind of like made like a book of like just like here's every event, male and female, and it's like here's different drills that you can do according to age and like skill level. Okay, it's so almost like an encyclopedia of, of coaching gymnastics. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's awesome.
0: Like and a that, cheat sheet.
1: Yeah, and that kind of brings us into... Build your own library. Yeah, exactly. and that kind of brings us into our topic that I want to discuss today. Um, I don't know if you if you read the quote from Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, where somebody asked, um, is he going to be a mentor for, I think it was Malik Willis, their draft uh, choice. I don't, I don't care. Um, a, young, a young rookie quarterback that they drafted in the third or fourth round. And he said something that I thought was a little interesting where he said it listen, it's not my it's not my job to veteran or to mentor a young guy who's ultimately trying to steal my job. Yeah. And I don't know if that I don't know if that really sat well with me. I mean, I guess it's it's different at the professional level. You never wanna, I guess you're always trying to you obviously want to keep your job but putting bread on the table. Absolutely. But at the same point, I mean Tannehill's you know, a veteran, I think 10, 12 years in the league. What are your thoughts on mentoring, mentoring the younger generation, whether it's as an athlete or a coach? Do you kind of feel like, all right, I can mentor this young coach knowing that maybe he's going to take my job in a couple years or nope, kid, you just, you better learn because I'm I'm doing my thing. And if you want to learn, you can learn. If not, I'm not going to make it easy for you.
2: Um, I think the dynamic depends on where you're working. Uh, professional level i can understand the guy's not wanting to give up his job i mean you know the whole aaron rodgers issue and all the drama with he and the jordan love jordan when he love, got drafted you know when he got drafted but i think it's a. I, i'd like to think it's a little different in our level in the high school you're you're trying to work together you, you know your job is to help the student athlete yeah so if i can help you help the student athlete you know let's get together and and talk about some things that might work Absolutely, yeah, and you th- get some. I'm sure even in the pros, they get something from absorption. You're sitting there doing quarterback drills with the other quarterbacks. Yeah, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a new guy, I'm going to kind of look at what the
0: yeah
2: NFL guy's doing, who's a, who's been a star or a starter at least, and try to pick up some things from him. And you would have your quarterback room, so I can understand his and you know Aaron Rodgers and people like that's attitude that it's not my job.
1: Yeah, but I think it happens. I think it happens. I think ultimately, especially if you're a leader, you might even mentor an athlete without, without even realizing you're mentoring him. Um, I know back in the day it was always uh, – you had. it seemed like back in the 80s and 90s, especially with football or uh, athletes, you had one guy who would either take you under his wing and treat you like a younger brother, or you'd have the other type of athlete, well, rookie, grab the bags, yeah. <laughs> grab the this – grab the footballs, grab whatever you got to get. You know, you're basically... Uh,
2: there was some of that hazing for sure.
1: Oh, oh yeah. for sure. Um, now, one thing, uh, and I had Rich Morano um, on here. We've had Megan Smith, uh, coaches from the Niagara Falls, Niagara Wheatfield, track and field program. And and both of them, uh, we've had Gra- uh, Michelle from Grand Island, Michelle uh, White. All three of them talked about just as a league, as the NFL, just how tight we are as coaches where it's not and I've seen you do this many times where even if if we have a dual meet or if it's an invite even if there's an athlete that's not from Ken East you'll go over and help them if if you see an athlete from Lockport from from Wheatfield from Clarence from wherever it just seems like track is one of those sports where you just go out and help a kid to help a kid doesn't matter if you're at their school or not and it just I've always loved that. I and again, I don't know if this really happens in ECIC or NOL. Well, I'm sure it does to a to a degree. But as NFL coaches, I feel like we're all there. We're there obviously to help our team, but we're there to help our entire league yeah, well, get we better all at
2: times. Win, but oh, for sure, I think we've got we've developed some really good relationships with the coaches from the other schools as well. And I think uh, you know I don't can't speak to the other leagues, but I think that. Uh, ours is a pretty tight group. I mean we want to beat each other's brains in too when the stopwatch goes, you know, clicks and the starting gun goes off, but I think it's uh
1: I think it's a much more open and friendly sport than some of them are. Now has it always been that like even back in the 70s, 80s, 90s was it always that communal feeling where other coaches are going to help other teams or was it more of that, uh-uh, I'm not sharing my experiences or I'm not sharing my, my knowledge with Ken West or Lockport or Louport?
2: I think that perspective, my perspective, of course, may not be the same as anybody else's, but I think that it's grown over the years. Uh, you know, when I was first starting coaching our league, they wanted to just clobber you. you know? <laughs> not that that doesn't happen now. Oh, for sure. But I, there was a lot less sharing, I think, in those days than there is today.
1: Yeah, and it's so definitely more more like you're you're not seeing you you stay away from my athlete type of deal.
2: Yeah, I think so. And you didn't want to interfere with somebody else's program. Oh, for and sure. And I
1: certainly didn't want to because I've learned
2: that's another thing in our <laughs> league. I think I've learned a lot from some of the other coaches from other schools. I've there's been guys who've been very helpful for me in the pole vault. Yeah, you know Pat Seidel from Lockport's great to work with. You know he'll help he'll, he'll help he want anyway, his he wants his kids to win and they. They very likely do because he's a great coach and they got some terrific athletes there. But he's, you know, he's more than willing to help another kid. And I think guys like that, you look around and go, oh, okay, um, that's really nice. I think that you know we can pass that along. Pa- you know, what's it? Pass it forward,
1: yeah. play it forward, or whatever the old expression was. Absolutely. And um, so, who were like the big, who were the big track programs back in the seventies, eighties, nineties? Like, was it always the Lockports? Was it always? Uh, your clearances, like who were yeah, some Clarence of? Clarence
2: the... has been good forever, I think. Uh, Lockport's always been good in the NFL. It was Kenmore East, Kenmore West, Lockport. Uh, NT's had some great years. Niagara Falls. So there were, you know, there were a lot of good, a yeah. lot of good schools. It was a very competitive league.
1: I know Niagara Falls always seems to have the sprinters. Like they always seem to have. Just they're a very fast school. Yep. They've always had. I mean, they've always been a very good program. Even now. Uh, Rich morano has got a a pretty deep program, but they've always they're a team where you're either gonna really go after their sprinters or you know what you might want to rest your sprinters <laughs> a little bit today because you know you have no chance. Yeah, well
2: they have and they have good jumpers and they all, they often have real good throwers. The one boy who throws for them now is very good.
1: Oh, David is tremendous, and he's been another athlete that um, this indoor season I've gotten to uh, work with him a lot during weight and kind of given him. Um, not taking any credit at all for him because he is he's worked super hard, but he's an athlete that I was able to just you know give him a little bit of coaching during some of the meets, but uh, a great kid. Yeah, I think weight he finished with 55 he in the was, weight. He was very good in the weight. In the weight, not that he was he wasn't awesome. Good in the shot, but I thought the weight was really terrific. Shot put. I think by the end of the season, he was. F- I don't know if he clipped 50. I know he was high 40s for sure. I think Rich said he's he's clipping fifties now in shot put, um, discus. I think the last I checked, he was well over one twenty, 120, one twenty-five. I mean, he's in. I hate to say it, he's only a junior, <laughs> so we've got another year. But just a tremendous kid, and always always works super hard.
2: Uh, yeah, that and that's. I mean, we've had a good relationship with the Niagara Falls coaches for a long time too.
1: You know, John Robbins was there for a long time. Good guys. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's been, it's been fun just to see, uh, myself, I ran for Niagara Falls back in the yard was a Niagara Falls alumnus. And just to see where their track and field program was back then to even where it's continued to grow now, where back then it was almost the same way we had, when I was there, we had, we were a little bit more deeper on the distance runners. And I feel like this year in particular, Rich has done, um, a great job of kind of building back that that um distance program and maybe wasn't there the last couple years but it's been growing there and it's uh the shot put program um I feel like is just really starting to take off again um uh, before before David got there I feel like they were I don't want to say down but they were on the downward they weren't they weren't feared now you get David, everybody knows David <laughs> you know that you're not you know 9 out of 10 times I hate to say it, but your guys' throwers are competing for second place when you're going against Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah,
2: that happens sometimes, and uh, you know a lot of it depends on who comes out. Yeah, he you know, happened to get a really good athlete who that just the
1: skill set matches up with that event, and you look like a lot better coach. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you ever have an athlete um, that really just surprised you at how well they were? Because I know when I was when I was um, running in Niagara Falls. For shot put, we had, um, I mean, we had a lot of the big football players. We had one in particular who was just, you know, all pro lineman, like offensive, defensive lineman, ended up playing in college. But you got him in a shot put pit, and he couldn't throw more than like 35, 40. Hmm, like just yeah. didn't have the flexibility, didn't have whatever. And we had, and I, I kid you not, one of our hurdlers, uh, Jeremy Hill, picked up a shot put. Now, when I tell you this kid was rail thin, this kid was like 5'11", I don't think he weighed more than 125, that and that might have been soaking wet. But he got into that shot put pit, and he would throw mid-40s. It was just he was able to get the form down. He was able to get just the flexibility, the explosiveness. He'd be one of those guys where you other teams, when we came, would see him going to the shot put pit, and they'd be scratching their head, but like, what is this? Did he get lost? Is, is this a punishment? <laughs> And sure enough, nine out of ten times, if he wasn't winning, he'd take a second place. Did you ever have one of those athletes that just kind of, he almost just shocked you? He or she just shocked you at how well they, they excelled in hurdles, pole vault, or any event?
2: Uh, I had a really good 800-meter runner. And she was, like you're describing, kind of long and lean. And she was a terrific discus thrower. She had pretty good long levers. And mm-hmm. she had good speed, so she was real quick across the circle. And she could, really, you know, she let that thing go. And I think she was the first girl I ever had who threw ninety feet, really. Which, which back in the late seventies
1: was. I'll say that's that pretty good. That's pretty us. good. That's still pretty good. I mean, even nowadays, you know, if you get a girl, I think uh, the NFL leader from GI, I think she's throwing 105, 110 ish, um, which is still really good. So I mean, you are you are looking back in the seventies and nineties probably winning most meets.
2: Yeah, she was she was good. I mean, Lockport always had real good throwers. And Grand Island had some. We had a track club in the town of Tonawanda. At uh, At that time, it was Parker Field called the Buffalo Bells. And uh, one of the girls on my team, who was a very good all-around athlete, mother and father had started the club because they wanted to give girls an opportunity. So it was a girls' track club. And they talked me into coming out and, and coaching. So that was the late 70s also. I want to say 77 maybe. And uh, later on they added boys, so it was the Bells and Braun. And we had a lot of kids because there weren't that many opportunities for summer track. So we'd get kids from Grand Island, Newfane, Lockport, St. Joe's, City Honors. We had some real Matter of fact, one of the guys who was in the Olympics, I'm sorry I'm going to forget his name, he was in the bobsled team, was a City Honors kid. And uh, he came to our summer track club because one of the the older guys who was on the team, because it was Masters, too, and the guy was an English teacher at City Honors, Mesler. Okay. And uh, the teacher was Chuck LaCusa, and the the young boy was Mesler. And uh, he came out, and he was running hurdles. He was quite good at that. So, you know, we had the advantage of having kids from all over the, you know, western New York. Come to the We had a big international meet. A lot of Canadian teams would come down. It was kind of a big deal.
1: That's I mean, and that's gotta be awesome just to see like even the invites that we have. And I know uh next week we're sending some uh some athletes up to Rush Henrietta for section five. I love as a as a track and field coach, I love the big invites that we go to because especially the ones that we do, uh sometimes we go out to Rochester where you're seeing schools that you don't normally see. Mm-hmm. You're seeing coaches that you don't normally see. You're seeing levels of competition that you don't normally see, but you're you're seeing them from not only just one or two schools. You're seeing them from, you know, sometimes we'll go to an invite with 16, 17, 18, 20 different schools there. Yeah. And it's fantastic both as a coach to pick up different styles, see different athletes, but even just as an athlete, to run against different competition. To and I know some there's of these a whole kids... whole
2: big world out there. Yeah, that you're not really aware of. You're in your own little yeah. island of, uh, you know, your high school or your league, and then you, like you said, you go to Rochester or Syracuse or someplace and go, "Wow, there's
1: some really good kids." Yeah, you got to get that. That ooh, I thought I was good, but it these was, guys are better. It, I
2: think it raises their level. Absolutely, they where, you know where they want to go, and
1: absolutely what they have to do. Um, now you said you've been coaching since the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousand. Like, what's I, I guess, in your opinion, what's been the biggest change in track and field? Whether it's just been in the overall sport, whether it's been from the athletes, whether it's been from a coaching perspective, um, just being as involved as as you are and as have, as you have been in the sport. What's been, I guess, the biggest changes that the sport has made?
2: Well, I think one is uh, the the numbers. Decreased because there were more sports opportunities given to student athletes. Um, numbers went down a little bit, but they also got to do more events. So that helped kind of fill out your lineup, okay for, for your for your dual meet. And um, I, the other thing I think is, like you're talking about, the understanding of more things happening around your area. Like like you said, we go to section five more and. Uh, and also, the other thing is an awful lot of events have come in that we didn't have before. Okay. You know, girls didn't run over 800 meters at one point. Yeah. And uh, now, you know, then we added triple jump. We've added pole vault. Indoors is the weight throw. And a lot of those things didn't happen when I first started coaching.
1: Yeah. And it's been fun just to see the evolution of those different events. Now, Coach, we we had Megan... Um, Megan Smith and Michelle White on here from Niagara Weefield and Grand Island. Didn't they run together in college? They did at St. Bonaventure. We asked them this question. They didn't really seem to know an answer. Maybe you will. (laughs) I doubt it. Why the guys run the 3,200 and the 16? Why do the girls only run the 15 and the 3,000? I don't
2: know. I think that's a New York State thing. (laughs) Is that, I was going to say, is that just a New York State thing? I think in other states, I think you'll see that the, the girls run the 15. Um, and sometimes they'll also run the 1600. That's usually on an invitational weekend, though. Okay. But uh, other states, they run,
1: the, they run the 16 and 32. Because I always thought that was silly. In fact, we got, like, we'll like we say jokingly with the girls, but like, all right, the guys are running the mile, the girls are running the almost mile, or the <laughs> almost two. Like, it always just seems so silly. Just why can't you have the girls and guys both run the 32, well, both that, run the 16? Part 16. of is
2: European. So uh, we followed the English system, OK, so the, the mile and two mile and a lot of Europe ran the fifth. They did the metric system. So it was fifteen hundred and three thousand. And we used to run the four forty and eight eighty. And then it became the four hundred and eight hundred. And a lot of us had to mark our tracks, which were four hundred and forty yard tracks. You had to change the markings because they went metric. So your so four forty give- track was now marked as a four hundred meter track. And, then there were paint lines all <laughs> over the place. It was insane, especially for the relays because the baton passing zones had to change. Yeah. So they had to keep moving back towards – it was, it was kind of nuts for a while.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, that would be – I couldn't even imagine. Even yeah. as a coach, it's got to be confusing. But like, oh, wait a minute. No, you can't athletes. start here anymore. Yeah, the
2: poor athletes.
1: Oh, especially, like, can beginners. you imagine yeah, – Can hard. you imagine having something like that change in your junior or senior year where you're like, ooh, i got to almost relearn the event?
2: Yeah, it was a little crazy. But um even though them you know, they still do those events in the Olympics. And it's uh, cause it's metrics. Yeah. Olympics for men and women. We hung on to that English measurement
1: <laughs> in New York State. So Sometimes it takes us a while to, uh, yeah, to catch s- up. To well, remember we,
2: remember we tried to go to the metric system. I think was it Carter was president, yeah. we, and all the Americans went, "Ah,
1: we all oh, lost our this. minds." But <laughs> 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 if you learn it, though, the metric system is actually way easier. Yeah, it
0: way makes easier. a lot of sense. It's so Just much go easier. Go to Canada and practice for a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really is, and it it makes sense why almost every other country does it except us. But yeah. it and it really is. But now we've got the Common Core math and this and that. and Screw Common Core. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny when we we have, as you know, I work
2: at Runner's Roost. And uh, sometimes we'll have customers come in when they're visiting friends or family in the United States. And they'll come into the store and they want a a 39 and a half. (laughs) It's like, hold on, let me go check the box so I can get my metric versus U.S. sizing here. Uh, So it's... It's entertaining.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure you, if you ask like a younger uh, college kid, they were like 39 and a half. Like, wow, you've yeah. got some really big feet. <laughs> yep. Well, the, the <laughs> cyclists know, but uh, for the rest of us, it's a little different. That's, that's awesome. All right, Jeff, we've got something here. We're going to get into our hot seat questions. We're going to put you on the hot seat. Now, we usually do five hot seat questions, but we also ask our guest To come up because we're lazy. No, we also asked our guests to come up with a hot seat question for us as well. One or two. These questions can literally be about anything. We've asked favorite foods, favorite movies, favorite characters, whatever. So it doesn't have to be about track and field. I'm gonna start mine off. I'm gonna do a hot seat question. We're gonna we're gonna keep it easy for the first one and keep it in track and field. What is, in your opinion, the toughest? track event whether it's high school or college the tough olympics toughest track and field event
2: can this be a hot sofa question because i got two okay more we'll room go to seat uh well i think pole vault is about as challenging as it gets uh because of all the things you're running down there full speed now this fiberglass pole is going to bend you got to flip upside down turn the other way and, and land on your shoulders or your back or whatever I think there's an awful lot going on, and I think one of the other ones is the steeplechase.
1: Uh, that was mine. I was going to say the steeplechase. Do you know like when did the steeplechase start? Do you know because it, it was a running joke that we had with our kids. I don't know if you were there, Coach Patterson from uh, used to coach at Lockport, but now he's at Niagara Wheatfield. We had a running joke last year during when at the NFL meet when we had uh, his runners, our runners, and Niagara Falls runners convinced that Coach Patterson started the steeplechase (laughs) because every coach would like, if you go over there and ask coach Patterson, he's the gentleman who started steeplechase. So that was a bit of a running gag from last year's NFL meet, but like if, if running long distance isn't hard enough, let's put on some big barriers that are higher than hurdles. And then, Oh yeah, they're the same height. Are they the same height? And then, Oh yeah, every lap, we're going to have you just run into a pool of water, jump into a pool of water. And then run out. Like, who was insane enough? Like that is just I think
2: probably the English.
1: It's it's gotta it's they had almost people chase with the horses and then they decided to make people do it. Uh, I mean, it's it's insane. It's in, especially I feel so bad for the kids doing it in like in those early track and field meets of the season where they're fifty, fifty five degree weather and those kids are running in what water has gotta be freezing. Yeah,
2: well, that's why it's only an invitational <laughs> <laughs> Thank I was, goodness. I was at the state meet one year, uh, I'm thinking maybe six years ago now, and probably longer, maybe eight, and there was a, a girl running the steeplechase. There were some real good kids, and this girl, it was kind of rainy, and she went to plant to go over a steeple barrier. Oh, no. And she, her foot slipped, and she slammed right into the barrier, and she did... A circle. She did a somersault right over, landed on her feet, and just kept on going. <laughs> oh, really? Amazing. This girl was so tough. And she wound up placing. Did she really? Yeah, she was in the top six. Incredible. Did you ever run the steeple? I never did. I'm not, never that insane.
1: I was going to say, I, I wanted to run it, I think, my freshman year. My coach looked at me. He's like, Monaghan, the hurdle is bigger than you. The barrier is bigger than you. You, you. You're not doing it. And then afterwards, I'm so glad because I had no interest Ever, anything after that wet. Yes. but Matt, um what what do you think the toughest track and field event
0: anything long distance i
1: was I so 16 32 like, i'm not a long distance runner <laughs> <laughs> Matt was more of a sprinter in high school sprinter and i think you did hurdles too didn't you say or no hurdles no,
0: i did sprint just sprint 200 100 i think i did a i think i did a relay once i did the invitational at the at 800 <laughs> That's the reason why I don't like. that. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> coach. <laughs> yeah, so not a big fan of anything long
1: distance. No long distance. No. All right, Matt. What's question number two? Hot seat question.
0: Oh, you know what? I had one. I had one since I. Oh, I got it. Biggest pet peeve. It can just be a... anything.
1: Ooh. Biggest pet peeve. All right. What's your answer? You get, you got to have one off the top of your head.
0: Me. Um, I think it's, like, if you have, like, a stack of something, like, just organizing. If, like, I remember when I was a kid and I had video games, like, I'd they'd be stacked up. And if one was just a crook off, like, I couldn't I have to...
1: Now, when you had them stacked, were they, like, alphabetized yeah, or... Yeah, So they so had to be...
0: just just disorganized.
1: So you're a very organized person.
0: That could also just be OCD. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking those letters
2: when I was uh, when I was listening to your description. I was
0: like, it could be OCD as well. Biggest pet peeve. All right, Coach, do you have an answer? Pet peeve.
1: I don't know. It's um, a good question. I don't think we ever talked about that topic yet. I'm trying to think of what mine would be. Biggest pet peeve.
2: To. I think not realizing that practice matters.
1: That's fair. Okay, so maybe taking practice not as seriously.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm, very good. And we, I feel like that's... that's And the
2: little things, the, the little things that make a big difference um, for hurdles or some of these other things, flexibility, doing your flexibility <laughs> drills or you know, doing your stretches at the end of a practice because we know that static stretching really doesn't... Do you a whole lot of good except relaxing your muscles at the end of a workout? Because we've all done dyna- we've all gone to dynamic, you know, st- warm up for uh, for your track and field, or you know, you look at the, all the other sports, you see football players doing it, baseball players doing it, um, I, and I think taking care of details. I one of my things was one of my heroes was Edwin Moses, okay, who won a hundred and twenty some straight four hundred meter hurdle races. Um gold medalist in seventy-six, and he would have been in probably nineteen eighty, except we boycotted the Moscow Olympics. And he used to spend an hour and a half a day stretching. Now, granted, this guy's a professional, but he did you know he could kick the rim with either foot. Really? The basketball rim. So needless to say, he had some athletic ability.
1: But he used to pay attention to all those little details to make himself better. Wow. That's, but, yeah, and that's what I think nowadays, I think that's one thing that the the younger generation athletes are missing. where Not all of them, but I think they some of them feel like, I've got that ability, I should be dominating. Why am I not dominating? I should be dominating. And like you said, it's just sometimes you don't pay attention to the small details. That's
2: one of the things I think has changed over time, too, is, you know, your practice time used to be typically two hours, maybe a little bit longer for some of the, Technique events like field, like discus, and so on. Um, and I think the squeezing down of that time with all the responsibilities and things that families are doing now, I think you're trying to get done in an hour and a half. And yeah. sometimes that's not enough time to get the things done at practice you'd like to get done, especially when the meets start because you're not practicing on Tuesday, and the day before the meet is kind of got to be a lighter day, um, especially if you've got a tough opponent coming up the next day. And then you kind of got to recover. So once the season gets underway, it's that the constraints on getting what you want to get done in practice
1: get tighter. They, they definitely get tighter. You, have,
2: you know, you have to become more efficient in that too.
1: Yep, which makes doing the small things all the more important. Um, for me, I guess I, I've had a little time to think of this pet peeve. I'm going to say, um, not some, like somebody who doesn't. If you say you're going to do something. Whatever it is, if you say you're going to be there at five o'clock, if you say you're going to do this by this time, if you say you're going to go here, if you give your word, stick with it. Don't don't back out. Now, I get it. Stuff happens every now and then. If you if you have to miss family emergencies, whatever emergencies come and go. But if just to blow somebody off by not. But oops, I forgot. Yeah, don't No, you didn't. You just didn't want to do it and you didn't want to say why you didn't want to do it. So that that always annoyed me, people who just don't follow through with their word. That's it. I guess that's my biggest pet peeve.
0: Okay. It's respectable.
1: So, because, uh, I mean, I try to be a man of my word. And, you know, if you're not a person of your, what else do you have in this world besides your word? That's it. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Coach, you were did, taller
2: when you were on that soapbox.
1: I was, I was at least. Why do you think I wear the fedora? Just to make myself a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit taller. <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie, and that this is goes off hot seat question a little bit, but I forgot my fedora at the JV invite. And man, did I pay for it because my head is crispy. <laughs> I would like it's still, I even just in the shower this morning, ah, that hurts. Like it, it, oof, I got a little sun this weekend, it was definitely crispy. So no more of missing the fedora. Maybe that should have been my pet peeve. Not wearing your hat. But, Coach, did you think of a question yet? Yeah, I got one for you. It
2: relates to something you said earlier. Guys, who is your favorite mentor? Who mentored you and helped you uh, along the way to whatever you, whether it was athletics or career or? Ooh,
1: that's that's a good one. Um, Well, I tell you what, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two. And you know what? Coach, I'm gonna embarrass you, but in the track and field world, you have been one of my bigger mentors, and I mean this—I I mean this with all sincerity and honesty. When I'm when I said at the beginning of the program, I wasn't kidding, just how much I've learned to be a track coach from you. Just the way that you prepare, just the way that you put in the time for your practices, um, just the way that you still, even to this day, connect with your athletes and your your students out there. You're you really show what it is to be a professional coach. So in the sporting world, I'm going to say you're one of my, no. one of my bigger mentors. Thank you. I stood on the shoulders of giants, so I learned. And, and it shows, and it forward, I guess. you're you definitely making them proud because you have been, I can't tell you how helpful you still are to this track and field program at Ken East. You've, you're, wow. you're up there tremendously. Um, as far as another one, I'm going to say my 10th grade English teacher, Mr. Brass, um, he was just, he was, this was one, at Niagara Falls, this high, was school. At Niagara Falls okay. high school. He was one of those, he was my homeroom teacher in 10th grade and also a 10th grade English teacher. One of those teachers who just, whether he was teaching you English, whether he was teaching you life lessons, he was just constantly teaching just such a good person to emulate yourself. Always made time for his students, always made time, um, for anything you needed, whether it was in English, whether it was in the subject or not, just made sure that you were there, was just a constant professional. So, Mr. Brass, who passed a couple of years ago, um, just a fantastic teacher, mentor um, for life in general. So, those yeah, are.
2: Teaching and coaching kind of go together.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's I've always you said do that. in
2: your classroom that you use with your athletes and vice versa. Things okay. you learn from working with a student athlete that go, hey, this will work
1: in the classroom. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Matt coach, what are your
0: who are your bigger mentors? Go ahead, Matt.
2: Okay.
0: Uh probably got probably be my elementary phys ed teacher. <laughs> Mr. Gabowski. Okay. At the, yeah, you, you know, Lodge know. view yep. Yeah. Uh interesting man. But he kind of got me into being a phys ed being in the phys ed realm and just even in coaching, like when I'm coaching gymnastics, like just the the excitement that he had from like seeing like a person or like a kid who, you know, might have been written off or might have been like not seen as like super talented in whatever they're doing, um, and you just work with them, and even if it's not like you know, it, it was super super like super huge in this in athletic realm, for them that's like that's the thing like that's just seeing them be able to do something that most people wrote them off from even if it's basic it's just like that's that's what it's about like you got them to get to that point and there's like who cares if it's just a somersault with like in gymnastics like before that they didn't even think they could do it nobody else could and then you're just like no you can't and then there it is and that's why i get like really excited all the time and like people are like what are you so excited about i was like i don't know i'm just people <laughs> people just doing stuff
1: absolutely i've always said it's sometimes you get more enjoyment after like like you said just seeing that kid struggle 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 and then have that that aha moment where the light bulb gets on as opposed to that natural athlete who just picks it up so easily so fluently so i mean sometimes seeing that struggling athlete get that epiphany moment, is, is so much more rewarding, in my opinion.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. But
1: the light bulb goes on. Absolutely. Someone takes a little longer, but usually they all get there. Coach, who's your, who's your mentor?
2: Well, maybe I can split it up like you. It's hard to pick one. Um, I think coaching-wise, probably Dick Harvey, who I mentioned before, who I worked with in, in um, track and field when I first started teaching. And then later on, he hired me as a JV basketball coach. And I didn't know much about basketball. <laughs> uh, you know, I liked to play as a kid, but I never played organized basketball. Well, a church league, I guess. But um, he was so organized and so patient, um, taught me so much. I would say he in coaching. And then a couple of guys I coached with. Uh, Gary Talk and Track was like that for me. Um, and my, my college coach, Cliff Dubriel, was great, too. And then I, when I started teaching social studies at Kenmore Junior High, it's like almost the whole department. They were so great, so welcoming, and anything they could do to help you. Uh, we had a great department chairman named Ida Spirock, but there were other people in there who were so helpful to me. You know, a friend of mine, Jerry Nazela and Jim Aluzzi. That was, they just, it was a great collaborative group of people. And I think Kenmore... Schools, especially the social studies department, because I can't speak for the others, um, was really a help each other out however you can.
1: And it, it, any, dish, any school district that I've subbed at, taught at, it, it just makes going into work so much easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really does. When you just have people that you respect, people that you get along with, it makes the day, like, it just, it makes it seem like a breeze. Well, it now, really the Ida does. used
2: to get us out of study hall. Once a week on Fridays, uh, because you covered a study hall. That was one of your assignments during the course of the day. And on Fridays, and it wasn't every Friday, maybe it was once or twice a month, she would get some of us out of study halls, so there'd be three or four of us who would meet her in her office, and we would develop new lessons. And that we would be the devil's advocate and bounce things off one another and be kind of crazy, ex like students. And uh, that's, we developed a bunch of lessons, which we shared with everybody else in the department. And that group of people changed from year to year. So it was, it was a great collaborative
1: experience. That's awesome. All right, question number four. And Matt, you're a young teacher or a young up-and-coming teacher, so we're going to, if you couldn't, if you couldn't teach or coach, and you had to pick a different career besides teaching or coaching, what would that career be? Anybody? Mine. I'm gonna. I'm gonna narrow it to two. I would do something either in like broadcasting, whether it's sport broadcasting, journalism, something like that, or something in the cooking world, like whether it's chef, uh, sous chef, just something. I, I've always. For me that's always my stress relief. Like I'll go home and just make s- pasta, make ribs, make s- just I love cooking. It's just it's creative. I'm one of those cooks so I don't follow a recipe. Like I've had I'll make something but like oh that's great. What did you put in it? But like a little of this, <laughs> a little of that. I I couldn't make it again cuz it's Shoot gonna to taste, taste weird. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's just I I love cooking. So either cooking or some kind of broadcasting. Those would be those would be my two careers. If I had to choose one, I'd probably say cooking.
0: I guess political science.
1: So, like, more of like like, civil service, like civil service stuff, or actually like running for office and something, or maybe a little of both.
0: Probably like start off civil service, then go into running. That was my initial career. Was that your initial major? Yeah. So uh, I actually have like a little bit of background in all that kind of fun stuff. I wouldn't consider it fun. <laughs> There's a reason why I stopped. But I don't know. It seems like the easiest transition. Okay. So something in the political world. Yeah.
1: All right. Coach, what about you? If you couldn't be a, a teacher or a coach, what uh, what other career were you, maybe even maybe were you dabbling with when you were a youngster? Yeah,
2: well, I think I picked the perfect career. Being a teacher and coach is just a great gig. And I agree. Uh, um, but one, I, I thought about law school. Okay. Uh, That was something I was very interested in doing. Um, But then one of my fraternity brothers went to law school, and and he was a year ahead of me, and we would talk, and he would complain about law school. (laughs) So I thought, "Eh, maybe that's not for me. Um, And I was also thinking that, um, well, you mentioned sports broadcasting. That would have been somewhat interesting. But... uh, I don't know. It's tough to get by teaching and coaching. That's a that's a good question. What else was the other one I was thinking of? You know what? It sounds a little strange. Uh, pharmacy.
1: Okay. Okay. Like pharmaceuticals. Yeah, or? I
2: loved chemistry in high school. Okay. And we there was no advanced chemistry when I was in high school. It started a little bit later, and I was you know I was a pretty dumb kid I guess. Certainly not very world wise. <laughs> and then I was in in college, and <clears throat> a fraternity brother of mine who we played football together. His girlfriend was a pharmacy major. And I never, it never even dawned on me that, you know, you could major in chemistry and go into pharmacy. And that would have been pretty cool. But so I think maybe pharmacy would have been something I would have liked because my love for chemistry. Okay.
1: I could definitely see that.
0: Good field to go into.
1: Oh, absolutely. Especially nowadays.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: All right. Matt, bring us home. Question number five. Or coach, if you have another question, jump right in.
2: <laughs> I'll leave it up to you guys. You're the experienced guys here.
1: <laughs> Matt, what do you got for us? Oh,
0: you know, I. Oh, hold on. I feel like I'm on the verge. <laughs> <laughs> we we could see
2: the wheels turning. Well, we... since we started out sports, how about your favorite sports moment yourself in your Sports career.
1: Okay. Very oh, good. Uh, okay. Go
2: now ahead, That Mantua. could be as an athlete. It could be as a coach, too, I guess.
0: Oh, I don't have one yet. I'm going to collect what he was asking.
1: I'm going to do two. I'm going to do one as a coach and one as um, an athlete. My my first one as a coach, this would have been my first year Uh, coaching my first year coaching varsity, a varsity sport. So I was uh, the varsity girls soccer coach over at the park school. And we had um, one athlete, Abby was her name. She was a very timid, very timid kid. Like if the ball, if the ball went one way, she'd go the other way. Like very, (laughs) very timid, very good kid, very coachable, worked hard, but just didn't want anything to do with contact, which in soccer isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. the best trait to have. But worked with her all year long, worked with her all year long until finally she started picking it up. And I'll never forget one game. And she was one of those players, came off the bench. She would play maybe 10, 15 minutes a game. But came off the bench and went for a 50-50 ball. Like, went right in. And unfortunately, the girl got there first, drilled the ball, and Abby took it right off the face. Like, smack off the face. I went sprint like this. I saw her go down like a sack of potatoes. I sprinted on the field. Before I took, like, more than 10, 20 steps, she popped right back up, looked at me, coach, I'm okay, and just kept playing. And I just, it was just that, oh, my God. Like, the the she just, six weeks ago, this kid would have, we would have had to take her out in an ambulance. And now she just took, like, a, a shot to the face and is just sort of, whatever. It didn't phase me. So for that, I mean, it sounds weird, but that was just such an awesome moment to see that big transition from meek little athlete. And that was her sophomore year. By the time she was a senior, she had worked her way into the starting lineup. So it was just awesome to see that, that growth from her there. So that was always one of my most memorable coaching moments, especially as a young coach, um, as a player, I'm trying to think of as a player what would be one of mine. I mean, we've won some, especially at soccer, we've won some big uh, big tournaments. I guess one that comes to mind is a track and field event. Again, uh, I was a freshman, and I it was a freshman invite. In fact, it was a freshman invite at uh, Ken West that year. So we were running a Ken West track, and I was running the two miles, so the 32. I was running around. Um, by the time uh, the fourth or fifth lap had come, I had a pretty sizable lead. I was being a little bit of a hot dog, so every time I'd pass by the bleachers after, like, the fourth or fifth lap, I'm, like, waving my arm for for the spectators or my group or whatever to, to stand up, start cheering. By the time the seventh or eighth lap came around, I'm doing the same thing, like, waving my arms up, like, my group, Niagara Falls, is like going crazy. The other other schools are like going like nuts or whatever. I've got coaches cheering and yelling. So for me, it, again, it probably wasn't the best sportsman <laughs> thing for me to do, but it was just, it was fun. I mean, I, I, I lapped a couple kids. I won by a good amount. Um, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have been, even though I was a freshman, probably shouldn't have been running a freshman meet because I'd run a couple varsity meets that year or so, but that one, that one kind of stuck out where it just maybe made a little spectacle of myself, but I still remember it to this day. (laughs) So those are, those are, I guess, my two, uh, maybe not most memorable, but just stand out into my head. (laughs) Coach, Matt, what are you guys? Anything that stands out?
0: I got one that kind of goes off of your, like, not sportsman-like. A little bit
1: of a, little bit of a hot dog.
0: Oh, I don't, this, this wasn't even being a hot dog. It was just more of like a revenge kind of thing. Okay. In baseball. I don't know if I told this story here or I told somebody else this story. I used to pitch in baseball, and I was a, I, I'm the kind of kid that coaches are like, you got the speed, but you don't have the accuracy. <laughs> so I could pitch a little wild thing. I could pitch heat, but it wasn't accurate. So, you know. Most batters probably feared for their lives when they'd see me (laughs) on the mound. Because they're like, this kid's gonna hit me with a, a with a decent fastball and it's gonna hurt. Um but there was this one kid we were playing in Lou Gehrig, and there was this one kid who was like constantly chirping, like he was either catcher or like as a batter, he he was always just running his mouth and just being one of those guys. And I was up pitching and my entire team was like, listen, drill this kid on purpose. And I tried to tell him, I was like, I can't control that. Like it either happens or it doesn't. And I ended up drilling the kid before him and the kid after him. But you didn't drill (laughs) him. I didn't drill him. So, but after you hit the second batter, you know, coach took me off and it was like, you're going to second base instead. I'm like, probably for the best. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the kid finally comes back up to bat. I'm playing second now. Um he hits the first, he hits a single and he gets to first base. I'm like, "All right, great. So I'm going to have to hear him run by me." And the ball gets hit to me and so the so it's a force out. All I had to do is touch, touch second base. I instead don't get in the path the 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 line of the runner, but I stick my glove out with the ball and I clothesline him. <laughs> Jesus. <Oops. laughs> I clothesline him and he goes down. He was out. Like I wasn't in <laughs> he was the double out. He was he was out out. <laughs> like I was like, well I couldn't drill him with the ball out there. I was like, so I'll just hit him. And I hit, and my coach got furious. He was like, "What are you doing?" And I was just like, <laughs> "I got him out." And he was like, "But it was a force." Out. I was like, "I don't see the problem here." <laughs> like everybody else on my team, like, were like, "Good job, good job." Like those, that will shut him up. And the, and the best part was like, he put his arms out in front of him to protect himself, and I just hit his arms back into his chest, and he's still just like, <laughs> I was forceful with that thing. Um, yeah, so I mean. My favorite, it's not the most sportsmanlike thing to do but I, I could have been the bigger man and just ignored it but you know what and out like you said you got the out i it was a little <laughs> dirty but it wasn't illegal
1: uh, all right coach what about you
2: um i think as a coach probably the first time our girls team won the NFL championship. That was a big moment for us. Um, we'd always been missing something. We didn't have a sprinter or we didn't have a good thrower or a distance runner. You know, you got all those events. There's 17 events in track and field, and it's tough to find um, good athletes in every one. So the first time we won that uh, NFL championship, I think, was, was a big moment. What and year? What year was that? That was 1997. Okay. Um, we had come close before, but that was the first time we ever won it. And, uh, again, that's, uh, that's with the help of other coaches, right? Oh, for that, sure. You know, that's a, that's a group effort for, for, it, sure. for all four people on the coaching staff. As an athlete, um, it's, n- it's not any great play, but I had a, I had a good friend from high school who I played with and he played for St. Lawrence and I was a safety and he was a guard. And in those days, O.J. Simpson and, you know, the running game, was pulling guards were a big deal. So it was a run play, and he and another guy, the tackle, um, pulled out on a sweep, and they were ready to turn up field, and it looked like it was going to be a gainer, and I just dove at both their legs <laughs> and took them both down, and the runner fell down over the top of them. So... I mean, it wasn't any big deal. It wasn't like I intercepted the ball for a touchdown or something. You know, I had some nice moments like that. But after the game, this guy, Dan, and I were, again, friends in high school, and he came over to me and he said, you dog. He said, (laughs) that was going to be a great play, and you just cut my legs out front of me. He said, if we played each other again, you know I'd be looking for you down the backfield. (laughs) So we shared a real good laugh over that, and
1: uh, I think that was one of my favorite moments. And that's the beauty of sports, you know, just – playing with getting revenge on, on kids and clotheslining them in a baseball game, doing it to your best. It's just, it's the beauty of sports. You know, when you, anything that happens on the field, typically afterwards, you're just, you know, yep. you're, laugh you're laugh sharing, sharing, laughing about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's why I, I love sports, but all right, we're going to wrap things up there. Um, coach, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, well, all your listeners probably are happy too because they got to get a nap listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. We got to hear a lot of your just just scratching the surface, so we, of your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom. You are welcome back anytime. I keep telling any any track and field coach that comes on. I keep telling we got to get Marty and Mike on here from oh, that'd uh, from Ken a, West. That would be a laugh fest. Those two should have their own podcast of their <laughs> own. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, Matt, Matt, as always, thank you for going on this experience with me. Uh, remember, you guys can find us um, on Spotify, on Apple Podcast, on Amazon. Also, look for us on Facebook on Story at Stories from the Sidelines and on Instagram. Uh, we'll also be getting a YouTube channel up and running very soon. But thank you guys all for listening, and we'll see you next week for another exciting episode of Stories from the Sideline.